I can share with you. I can lead you to Christ. And so that's what happened. And then I just didn't know that part of that story. Here you go, someone's newly saved, telling their friend about it, and they're asking about salvation. Like, this is cool. This is what's supposed to happen. Say amen. So we're going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate it like crazy around here. So, um, so Acts chapter number 19. So hopefully at this point you're either, you're either there or, or you're, we'll put it on the screen or whatever. But before we do that, go ahead and put, go and put my title up there. The title of the message is Addition by Subtraction. Addition by Subtraction. So, so, so the, I'm just going to kind of put that out there, and, and I think in some ways when I say this, you're already in your mind trying to put the, the pieces together, and in some ways you're going to say, well, I don't know if I want to hear this message, because Buchanan, you're not so much talking about what I need to add to my life, but more what I need to take maybe out of my life, Okay. All right, so, so you, we, and we talk about this a lot in the, in, the, in the church is add, 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 but sometimes the best thing for your Christian life is not what you add, but the things that you're willing to take away. So Acts chapter number 19 and verse number 8. So if you're there, say, I'm there. All right, here we go. And he went, this is being Paul, and he went to the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And when divers were hardened and, and believed not, but spake evil of, of, the, of that way, being the way of Jesus. Before the multitude, he departed, being Paul, from them and separated disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought or worked special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from, from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Okay, so under the power of Jesus, an apostle, okay, this is what we see the apostles were doing. This, okay, so you, you see Jesus and apostles being able to do this, basically get, healing them from disease and casting evil spirits out. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, those are traveling Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjourn you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. So basically what they want to do is they want to get in on the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, casting out demon business. And so what they're going to do is we'll use this special wording because it seems like it's working for Paul. So this will be kind of our hocus-pocus, you know, abracadabra, magic spell word that we say. In verse 14, And there were about seven sons, one of Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? That I know that Jesus has the power to do this. I know that Paul has the power to do this, but y'all don't have the power. You're acting like you have the power, but you don't have the power. It says, and the man in whom the evil spirit was... Le-, and look at this, verse 16. And the man in whom the spirit... Whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So instead of the, 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 the demon being cast out, what they do is the demon actually, uh, the, the evil spirit leaped on those guys, tore them all apart, and they go running out naked and wounded because they thought this was a new magic trick. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. Obviously, that happens, and the word's going to get around. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. It was what? Magnified. 
And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. This is important, verse 19, because we're going to see two different extremes here. Two different extremes, okay? Here's the first extreme. Many of them also, which use curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So here's, here, here, here's, here's these people of curious arts. They're, 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 the, Lord, the, the Lord is being magnified. They bring their curious arts books and burn them. 50,000 pieces of silver. The, 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 with my research, one piece of silver was one man's day's wage. 50,000 days wages. If you, if you do the math out, um, with this money today, that's two to three million dollars of stuff that's destroyed, thrown in the fire. But notice what happens in verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. When they were willing to get some things out of their life, the word of God grew and, and, and multiplied. And here we go. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit which he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Jerusalem. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, uh, Timotheus and Erastus, and he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Now here's, here, here's, that's one extreme. Now here's the next extreme, verse 23. In the same time there arose no small stir about that way, the way of Jesus. For a certain man named Demetrius... A silversmith, which made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Okay? So here's a guy who's a silversmith who makes shrines for Diana, for the idol Diana, okay? The, 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 this idol that should be worshipped, this god that should be worshipped in a, in, in, a, in a form, okay? And he's basically saying no small gain. Okay? So he's making money. He's making bank by doing this. Whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation. So he's getting all the other silversmiths together and said, Sirs, notice the first thing he talks about that he, that he has an issue with. Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. The reason why they were, they, they, he brought everybody together was the, the, what Paul is preaching about, the fact that he's talking about putting down idols and all this kind of stuff, and there's only one true God and all this thing, is the first thing we need to understand is this is going to affect business. This is going to affect business. Moreover, verse 26, moreover you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all of Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying, there be no gods which are made with hands. Okay, so he's hurting our business. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be sought at not, said at not, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Now, let me help you with this. He wasn't worried about Diana's image and how she wasn't going to be magnified anymore. They were worried about one thing. We won't be able to make money off this idol worship. But they had to dress it up a little bit, right? We don't ever do that, right? Okay, verse 28. When they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when when Paul would have entered into the people, the disciples suffered him not and said, Don't go in there. It's bad. Don't go in there. And certain of the chief of Asia, 
which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not venture himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, and Jews put him forward. And Alexander beckoned with the hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours, they're doing this for two solid hours, cried, cried, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, "Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that, that, city, that, that city of Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess of Diana? Like, why does this even be an issue? Shouldn't everybody know that we worship Diana? And of the image which fell down from Jupiter, seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. Okay, so he's saying, like, let's calm down about this. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of church, nor yet blasphemers of, this, of your goddess. So now they're talking about, like, like, let's not speak of this, and these guys aren't too bad, you know. When, wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open. And there are deputies, let them implead one another, okay? So if you have an issue with this, let's do it the right way and proper way and all this kind of stuff. If you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. Notice this, verse 40. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we can give an account of this concourse. Now, now what, what's going on is there, there are people in, the, in these different cities that have authority given to them by Rome. And so if there's a problem or an issue, it, it, what they're going to do is Rome is going to come in and take that official out of their place because obviously you can't handle what's going on. This is an issue. So why are we trying to keep the peace? Because we don't want anybody to, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to, want to stir anything up. We just want to make everybody happy and all this kind of stuff. And when they had thus spoken, they dismissed the assembly. What's interesting, did you get the verse, verse, okay, so go on the next chapter, look at the first verse in the next chapter, and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. So we see in one side of it that, that when people were willing to say, you know what, if there's something that's holding me back from fully pursuing the Lord, I'm going to rid myself of it. That's one extreme. And the other extreme is, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it. I, I, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. This is the way I've always done it. I'm not willing to compromise. I want to keep the status quo. Nobody gets saved. The Lord's work is not magnified. It doesn't grow. Paul just goes to the next city. So two extremes here. Something great and wonderful happened because people were willing to, get, to give up something that was, that was important to them or, or, or had really become from the standpoint of something that was pulling them away from God and somebody on the other side was not willing to do it and nothing happens. We just want to keep the peace. Now, with all that said, with all that said, when we talk about what we're, what we're going to talk about today is, is there... There are things, there are things that hinder us in our relationship with Christ, okay? Now, we want to look at it two different ways, two different ways here, okay? One is, is that there, there are things in your life that are pulling you away from Christ, okay? If something is pulling you away from Christ, it needs to be eliminated. But on the other side, there may be something that is not helping you in your pursuit of Christ, 
so it needs to be eliminated as well. It's really easy for us to say, this stuff is bad for me, so I need to do this, but for, or, or, or at least this is pulling me farther away, but is this thing pulling us closer too? Now, when we talk about addition by subtraction, in Mobile, uh, a couple weeks ago, when I took the teenagers to Mobile, um, we sang a song. We sang a song. And the name of the song, I don't know, I don't know exactly the name of the song, but there's a, a part in the chorus that it says, if more of you, talking about Jesus, if more of you means less of me, Take everything. Now, here's my thing about this, is that how many times have we done some worship songs? We, 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 we sing these songs, but we don't really mean what we're saying. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, we say, I surrender all, I surrender all, when in reality what we're saying is, I surrender some. I'll surrender this, God, if you really ask me to, if you call me to it, you know, <laughs> But I'm not going to surrender these things because I like these things. They make me happy. And so when I was singing that song, it was hard for me to sing that song in, in Mobile because I'm like, if more of you means less of me, take everything. And I'm like, would I really, am I really believing that? Like, God, take everything? Let's talk about Job. Let's talk about Job. Jo- Job lost everything. Everything he had. And, 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 and Satan goes to God and says, you know, will he worship you for not? Like, if you don't do anything for him, we still worship you. But, 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 but Job didn't do anything wrong. That was between God and Satan. But yet, he took everything away. Would we be willing for God to take anything away from us? And so, I'm, 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 I, I've kind of said this already before, but I just want to make sure um, I, I, I do a preface on this. On what I'm about to talk about, because I'm going to use an example. I'm going to use an example of addition by subtraction. And, and here's the thing, don't, don't turn me off, don't justify in your own mind, don't think I'm talking to somebody else, here's what I want you to do, God speak to me, God speak to me. And this is what happened, is, is a couple weeks ago we talked about idols, and we talked about being addicted to things, we talked about this, and I made a comment about social media and smartphones, and it was the most eerie feeling I ever felt in the church service almost demonic, if I'm being completely honest. And it was like, that, was a, a, that struck a chord, that struck a chord with a lot of people in here, and it's like, Buchanan, you can talk about anything and everything you want to do, you can take everything you want, but do not take my smartphone, and do not take my social media. Because I like that, and it's mine, and you can't touch it, okay? But here's what I want, here's what I want to point out. Now, when I say all that, I'm reading my message from a smartphone. Okay, full disclosure, all right? I didn't say that in the first verse. Full disclosure, I'm reading it from a smartphone. But here's what I want to talk to specifically. I want to specifically talk to parents, okay? Parents, grandparents, um, parents that have little ones, kids, teenagers right now, whatever it may be. There is a campaign called Wait Until Eighth. Wait Until Eighth. And here's what, here's, I'm going to read some of the things that they put on their website about why it's important for, for a, a, to wait to get a phone until 8th grade. By the way, this also talks about 8th grade for a phone, 16 until they have access to data. I'll explain this in just a minute. Okay, small smartphones. Smartphones are changing childhood. Childhood is changing for children. Playing outdoors, spending time with friends, reading books, and hanging out with the family is happening a lot less to make room for hours of Snapchatting, Instagramming, and catching up on YouTube. 
With children spending anywhere between three to seven hours daily in front of a screen, many childhood essentials are pushed aside for online amusement. When I was a kid, you know what I did? I got on my bike and I rode around the neighborhood. Do you know what kids do right now? They play video games and stay on their smartphone. I talked to somebody the other day that there's a doctor in town that actually is seeing, they're seeing more ACL injuries. And they're saying the reason why we have more ACL injuries because there's no range of motion in our knees. Because we were all bike riding. And all these athletes are going and, and they're blowing out the ACLs. Smartphones are addictive. New research shows dependence on your smartphone may produce some of the same addictive brain responses similar to alcohol, drugs, and gambling addictions. Smartphones are like slot machines in your children's pocket, constantly persuading them to crave more. The tech industry intentionally designs smartphone apps and social media for people to use for long periods of time because they, this is how they make their money. I, my, my dad, I've been trying to get my dad on social media for years. My dad's over 60 years old. He, he said, I'm not doing social media. I'm like, why? And here's what he said. Here's what I figured out. They're a business. In order for a business to be profitable, they have to have a product. And he said, it's free. So who's the product? We are. We're the product. We're the product. We're the one being sold. We're the one being sold. Okay? Smartphones are an academic distraction. Elementary and middle school years establish the foundation for your child's academic success. Children learn how to productively manage time, projects, and homework. Introducing a constant distraction with a smartphone is paving a path for academic mediocrity. There are results of a landmark study on brain development by the National Institute of Health showed children who spent more than two hours a day looking at a screen got lower scores on thinking and language tests. Research from the University of Texas suggests that mere presence of your smartphone reduces cognitive capacity and test-taking brain power. One study demonstrated that using smartphones in classrooms can even lower a student's grade. Another study found that children who attend schools with smartphone bans did better on tests. Let me tell you, just from reality, in our own home, there have been times where our kids conveniently forgot they had homework because they wanted to get on a device or on a video game or whatever, and then the morning of, they're like, I forgot. No, it's not. And maybe they did forget, but you know what they were doing? Let me hurry up and get this so I can get back to my gaming or get back to my smartphone, okay? There are, there are, there are I, I read this article this week. There are, there are school systems that are getting the computers out of schools and getting smartphones and going back to textbooks. Because they're seeing that the scores are going down and there's a direct relation from the standpoint if they're reading it there or using a piece of technology. Excessive smartphones use, uh, is altering children's brains. Initial results from a groundbreaking study by the National Institute of Health reveal that MRIs, okay, these are medical tests. MRIs found significant differences in the brains of children who use smartphones, tablets, and video games more than seven hours a day. Children who spend an excessive amount of time on screens were found to have premature thinning of the cortex. Like their, their, their brains, the, 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 they're thinning. Like their brains are not, like that's the, outmo- that's the outermost part of the brain that processes information from the five senses. So the area where they process information is actually getting worse. Okay? Um, one thing that um, I will just say about this real quick, I think what's bad is that we, we allow this and video games to babysit our children. Like, just get on a device so you won't leave, you'll leave me alone. We, 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 rode, we rode to Decatur the other day for 30 minutes, and my kids didn't have devices in their hand. And like, what are we supposed to do? Talk. Talk to one another. But we, we, we just want to entertain the kids so they'll shut up and be quiet so I don't have to deal with it. 
Uh, smartphones impair sleep. Studies show that the use of smartphones and other portable devices with screens affect the quality and quantity of sleep in children and teens. Okay? Not only us, do you know if you have any kind of this light right here, if you go to, if you go to bed, look at your phone, and put it down, you probably don't sleep as well. Because the light you're getting, it's like you shouldn't watch TV and all that kind of stuff. It's that ambient light, okay? All right, so adolescents are likely restless. Listen to this. Because they, re- they anticipate receiving texts and social media messages from friends, which affects their nighttime routine. Some children even wake up in the middle of the night to check texts or social media. Sleep disturbance in childhood is known to have adverse effects on health, including poor diet, obesity, weakened immune system, stunted growth, and mental health issues. So if you're thinking, well, their, their, their phone is charging in their room, they'll never look at it. They're going to look at it, okay? Smartphones interfere with relationships. Many parents regret allowing their children to have a smartphone because they experience the way the smartphone is destructive to relationships. The parent-child relationship suffers, okay? Children are often inattentive with the constant distraction the phone brings. Face-to-face relationships dwindle as children shift their time and energy to investing in their online friendships. Have a conversation with a teenager on the phone. You can't even get. They don't even make. You're like they don't make words, much less sentences. You know why? They don't know how to communicate because this is how they communicate. They are loving this. Okay, here we go. Smartphones increase the risk of anxiety and depression. Children are not emotionally equipped to navigate tricky social media waters at such an early age. Viewing someone else's highlight reel on social media often leads youth to think they are missing out or not enough compared to their peers. There's a thing called FOMO, fear of missing out. It's reality. I've had, I've had my, own, my own teenager say, everybody's doing this and going here. Is that reality? Okay, help me with this. Like, did everybody, was he the only teenager that didn't do this one thing? No. But guess what? That is his reality. Whatever he's seeing, that's reality. But he doesn't understand that, so he thinks I'm missing out. Research, research shows that more time, more times someone uses social media, the more likely they are to be depressed. A Harvard Business Review showed the more you use Facebook, the worse you feel. Another report demonstrated that adolescents' psychological well-being decreased the more hours a week they spend on screens. In addition, when children overuse technology, the constant stimulation of the brain causes the hormone cortisol to rise. Too much cortisol can inhabit a child from feeling calm. They're anxious all the time, okay? The loss of tranquility can lead to serious anxiety disorder. Suicide rates, listen to this. Suicide rates are on the rise, especially for girls between the ages of 10 and 14 years old. For this age group, suicide rates have tripled over the past 15 years. Let me help you with this. You know when Facebook was introduced? 2004. You do the math. 15 years on the button. 2004 Facebook. 2005 YouTube. 2008 Twitter. 2010 um, Instagram, 2000, or, excuse me, 2011 Pinterest. I'm about to talk about that, lady. Sorry. Okay, Pinterest. 2015 Snapchat. It goes on and on and on. Smartphones. Smartphone puts your child at risk of cyberbullying. Bullying is no longer limited to the playground or locker room. Bullies seek to harm children through social media and text, often making retreat for the victim impossible. The most common medium used for cyberbullying is the phone. Listen to this, about one in every four children have, has experienced cyberbullying. And about one in every six children has done it to others. Now I know in your mind you're going, that's not my child. That's the problem. We think it's everybody else's kids that are doing these things and not our own. Okay? 
Um, only one in ten victims will, will inform a parent or trusted adult of their abuse. So your kids may be in cyberbullying right now, and they won't even tell you about it. Research, recent research indicates that children who receive smartphones in elementary school versus later in childhood are more likely to be involved in cyberbullying. So the earlier you give your kid a phone, the more likely they're going to be involved in it. According to the research, the increased risk of cyberbullying related to phone ownership could be tied increasingly to, to increased opportunity and vulnerability. Smartphones expose children to sexual content. Smartphones have enabled children to view pornography anywhere. Pornography marketers intentionally target youth online to lure them to dangerous images and photos. One study, listen to this, one study showed that 42% of online youth users have been exposed to online pornography. Of those, 66 reported unwanted exposure to pornography, often through online ads. So two-thirds of our, of, our, of, our, of our teenagers have seen some type of pornography. Let me help you with this. Guys, y'all can relate to this. Guys are visual. Guys are visual. Okay? And guys, here's, here's the thing. Guys sees an inappropriate image. Right now, every single guy in this room can go back to that inappropriate image and can see it with every detail. I know I just got y'all nervous, guys, but it's reality. We're visual. And so our, our, our sons that, are, that have seen pornography, they can't unsee that, and they will be able to see that for the rest of their life. Not only are children viewing sexual content with their phone, but they are creating it as well. More and more children are sexting, sending sexual text messages or explicit images. Also, various apps open the doors to sexual predators, predators seeking to track, groom, and harm children. I'm not going to talk about a specific app, but there is an app where when you send it, it disappears. Think about that. If it disappears, but guess what? The other person on the other side can save it, and if, they have in, if you're sending inappropriate photos, they have a record and you don't. And put that out there. Technology executives ban smart... Listen to this. This is a big thing. Technology executives ban smartphones from their children. According to New York Times piece, many technology executives wait until their children is 14 before they allow them to have phones. While those teenagers can make calls and texts, they are not giving a data plan until 16. If leaders of digital giants like Google, eBay, Apple, and Yahoo are delaying the smartphone, then this should give us time to pause. The people that create the actual device you use won't even give it to their own children until they're 14 and won't even give them access to data. That means the internet, that means YouTube, that means social media, that means all those things. That's all data until they're 16 years old. And we think we know better because our kid at 8 years old can do it. Executives that flourish on the success of technology are protecting their children from smartphones. Should we not do the same? Now, this is just an example, but let me say this. FOMO is a real thing. Mom shame. I, I'm a mom, and so I'm looking at what every other, every other mom is doing, and I don't feel like I measure up as a mom because of what they posted on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram. That's real. Pinterest-worthy. We do something, and we think, how can I post this so that people can look at it and all that kind of stuff? You know what that's doing? That's building ego in you. It's building pride. Like, okay, I'm going to put that out there because I want people to think how great and wonderful I am. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, I had a conversation with my own wife. She said, hey, I'm, a, I'm Pinterest. I'll look at a haircut, and I'll say, why can't my hair look like that? Why don't my baked goods look like that? Why does not my little, you know, project, DIY project look like that? And she feels like she doesn't measure up. Vacation envy. This is a real thing. Do your research. People go on vacation. And what they'll do is they'll post their photos a, a, a couple months at a time. You know why? Because they want to have the impression they go on vacation all the time. 
okay? They, didn't go, they don't go on vacation all the time. They probably didn't go on vacation for a couple years, but they want you to, act, want it to look like they are. And then when we post things on social media, what are we looking for? Likes and comments. Something to make us feel more important about ourselves. Okay? Now, uh, uh, and you're like, no, that began, that's not me, whatever. Okay? Now, talking about social media, talking about phones, smartphones, all that kind of stuff. Um, does anybody in here want their kid to be an alcoholic? No, not at all. But here's what happens when we give them a smartphone and give them access to data. Here's what it's like. Like going into your son's room or daughter's room and putting a refrigerator in there with a case of beer and saying, don't drink it. Let me help you with this. You, are there people, are there kids that your kids are friends with that you would never allow in your home? Would you agree with that? Would everybody agree with that? The bad kids, we don't want the bad kids. Let me help you with this. They're already in your home. They come in every day. Okay, when you watch a college football game or an NFL football game, what do all the commercials have on there? Beer, okay? My, my son follows a lot of sports figures on there. Guess what all his ads are on his social media account? Beer. All right, now, here's where the rubber meets the road. Now, I, I was, I, I'm using this as an example, and I'm talking about teenagers and adults, but it, it's, we got a problem with it, too. I mean, I, this is one thing I, I, I really learned. I used to put teenagers and kids and say, you know, well, that was when that, and, and no, you know what we are? We're, we're, what we did as a teenager, we still do as an adult. We're just better at hiding it, Okay? So we still do these things. We just don't, we, we don't, we don't want everybody to think that we're adults and grown and all kinds of stuff. No, we still struggle with the same things we struggle with as teenagers. We still do. We're just better at hiding it. And so here's what I did. I'll just tell you from my perspective. I deleted all my social media accounts. Now, I do have Instagram. I, I don't want to lie to y'all, whatever. I do have Instagram, but I'm in the process of, of turning that off. But here's the deal. You cannot deactivate a social media account on the app. You have to go to a physical computer and do it. They're pretty smart, aren't they? When I went to go cancel my, my Facebook account, you can deactivate or you can delete. And when you deactivate, here's what you, here's what you, you won't lose any of your stuff, but if you delete, it'll be gone forever. I deleted it and it said, hey, you got 30 days. If you sign back in, we'll put it all back together. And you know what happened to me? I was nervous about deleting my Facebook account. Something inside of me went, oh, I don't know if I, it has that much control and power on me. Let's talk about our kids for just a minute. Because some of you are like, you know what, Buchanan, it's already done and all this kind of stuff. Here's the problem we have with parents. We confused well-being for happiness. I'm going to explain this in just a minute. Your responsibility as, 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 as a parent is to look out for the well-being of your child, not to always make them happy. And so we thought if they were happy, then that means we're good parents. Let me help you with this. If they're happy... Okay, uh, great example. Both of my children got, got, got iPods because they asked them for Christmas. Well, that was the only thing they asked for. But was that for their well-being or just because I want to make them happy? Because here's where our responsibility is as parents. Here's our responsibility as parents. Proverbs 2.22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Here's responsibility as a parent. Your responsibility as a parent is to train them. Train them to do what? To follow Jesus, right? But yet we put things in their hands that are pulling them away, distracting them from this thing. And, and, and here's the thing. Things are changing in my home. Things are changing in my home. Well, you know, we've already, we've already done all this and all that kind of stuff. We can't go back and do it. Why? You're the parent. Anything you did, guess what you can do? You can undo it. 
You can change things. You're the parent. Well, they'll be mad at me. Who cares? Let me help you with this as parents, all my parents in here, they're going to be mad at you about something. You pick it. <laughs> they're going to be mad. Like, that's the reality. They're going to be mad at something. But I'll tell you, a lot of things, and I don't even want to use this, because I'm going to try to, I feel like in some way I haven't guarded my family enough, but the majority of fights and arguments that happen in my home are around some kind of electronic device. And guess who bought those electronic devices for them? I did. I did. And I'm the one griping and complaining about it. Okay? Okay? This is just one example. This is just one example. And the reason why I use this example, it's an extreme example. Okay? Now, you're, you're, you're maybe something different. It may be, you know what, it's, it's not this, it's not that. Now, the only thing I'll say about this is when I say it may not be that, then you're like, okay, I don't have to worry about that now. <laughs> we'll take something else out. But there, there's some things that maybe it's TV, maybe it's, maybe it's travel ball. Maybe, I mean, there's a lot of things that can, that can pull, that, can, that, that you have put into your children's lives that in all reality is not training them, it's not for the well-being. You just did it because you wanted to make them happy. And I'm sorry, I don't think that's our responsibility to always make our kids happy. I think our responsibility is to train them up in the way should they go. Because if we do that part, here's what it says. Look at this, this is a promise. This is a promise. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will what? Not depart from it. So, show my video. Show my video. Day 23, watch out for parasites. A parasite is anything that latches onto you or your partner and sucks the life out of your marriage. They're usually in the form of addictions like gambling, drugs, or pornography. They promise pleasure, but grow like a disease and consume more and more of your thoughts, time, and money. They steal away your loyalty and heart from those you love. Marriages rarely survive if parasites are present. If you love your wife... You must destroy any addiction that has your heart. If you don't, it will destroy you.
Okay, Lord. No more addictions. That was a pretty extreme step. That's, that's a scene from Fireproof, a, a movie a long time ago. It's probably like 10 years old at least. But here's the thing, an extreme step. And let me help you with this. You know what that extreme step was saying? To save his marriage, his relationship with his, relationship with his wife. When it comes to things we're talking about, this is not just about your relationship with your wife. This is about your relationship with God. And here's what I didn't, and I didn't even say this earlier, and it's all right there. Your concern should not be about what your kid is doing, but you should be concerned about what everybody else is doing that's attacking your kid. He didn't, that popped up. Guess what? Majority of things that, from the standpoint of what, of, of, of what things, the, the, uh, the, yes, my kid makes bad decisions and bad choices like every other kid. He's just like every other kid, okay? But on the other side, or all these other people, I'm worried about more from the standpoint of what he's being exposed to that other people are doing, not necessarily what he's doing. So let's, let's take the blinders off. Let's not justify. Let's not do this. Let's just say from the standpoint, maybe this is one of many areas that, w- that the best thing for us, the best thing to add something to our faith may be to take something away. Let's everybody stand. Let's everybody stand.